going to open up our Bibles today. We're turning to Ephesians chapter 4, um, page 1175 in the Pew Bibles, if you're using that. If you're using your own Bible, Ephesians is towards um, the middle of the New Testament, um, which is towards the end of your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick it up at verse 17, and we're going to read through to verse 8 of chapter 5. So quite a long reading, uh, but an important one. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. And this is what Paul writes. He says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. There's that word again. Earlier Jesus was directing them and commanding them. Now Paul is insisting on it. Um, Insist on it in in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And we end our reading there. 
Paul, Paul love, loves lists. He, he writes them. We find them in all his letters. Lists of things. Lists of things that we should be doing and, and lists of things that we shouldn't be doing. Characteristics of things that should be evident in us and things that shouldn't be evident in us. He even lists all the hard things that he goes through in life. The lists of lists go on and on and on. And our reading from Ephesians is also a long list of of things that we shouldn't be doing. But in the mix of it all, there is a key sentence for us that explains why Paul feels that he needs to list these things. In Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then the passage culminates in those words of of, of verse 8 of chapter 5, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. I feel like that verse really gets to the heart of the sermon series that we've been looking at over the past few weeks. That once we were in darkness, but now we live in light, so we must live as children of light. Learning to live as children of light is not an instantaneous action, but rather it is a process that happens over time as we partner with God in the transformation that happens within us when we accept Jesus as our Lord and receive the Holy Spirit. Norman explained last week that the sermon series titled Deep Calls to Deep refers to the deep in each one of us wanting to connect with the deep of God so that the deep of God can do a work in the deep of us. The fullness of God at work in the fullness of you and me so that we are more than just surface Christians who appear to be doing the right stuff. But rather we are allowing God to work in the core of who we are, doing a transforming work in us so that we can become more and more like Jesus. But what does that even mean, to be more and more like Jesus? And why is, why is it even necessary? To be like Jesus is to display the characteristics of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it's also to do the things that Jesus did. In Mark 16, Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And along with the preaching, there will also be signs. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. That's what it means to become like Jesus, to display his character and to do his work. And the why is quite simple, because the world needs to see Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we see that when people meet with Jesus, they made a choice. Some chose to follow him. Some chose to turn away because following him just seemed such a hard thing to do. And some just wanted to get rid of him. They chose to kill him. They didn't want him about Becoming like Jesus is not an end to itself. It's not our goal. 
It's not that that's all what it's about, to become like Jesus, but rather it is the means by which the church fulfills its mission to build the kingdom, to go and make disciples. If people are to choose to follow Jesus, then they need to meet with Jesus, and they meet with Jesus through his followers, through you and through me. And so as a part of our mission in this world, it is essential that we allow a Christ-likeness to develop in us. But it doesn't happen by chance, and it doesn't happen by the Holy Spirit working his magic in us. It happens when we partner with the Holy Spirit, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us so that he can work through us. And that means that we need to be intentional about our transformation. That was the first word that we came across in this series, intentionality. It's a deliberate choice that we make, a conscious decision that we make, but a decision that is followed up with action. I have decided that I'm going to do something. And in this case, I've decided that I'm going to become more like Jesus. And this is how I'm going to do it. It's an intent, it's a conscious decision. And the how we do it involves partnering with the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to partnering with people, it means that we are no longer fully in charge. We don't make all the decisions. So that will mean surrendering certain aspects of my life to the charge of someone else, to the Holy Spirit. And that was our second word in the series, that word surrender. That there are things that I will no longer do But there are also things that I will now start doing if I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to do a work of transformation in me. But the intent and the surrender count for nothing unless I actually do what the Holy Spirit and what the Word of God is asking me to do, or as we saw earlier, commanding us, directing us, telling us to do. And so the third word that we spoke about was obedience. I actually stop doing the things that I must stop doing. And I actually start doing the things that I must start doing. And that's where it gets hard. Because sometimes the things that we need to stop doing might seem harmless. Or they might actually make me feel good. So I don't really want to stop doing them. Or I don't understand why I need to stop doing them. In Romans 7, Paul talks about how he struggles with the same thing. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Sound familiar? And Paul recognizes why this battle is happening to us, why this is going on. He says, there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. You see, like Paul, we need to acknowledge that we have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is fighting against the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. But all is not lost because the Holy Spirit has the power to help us to deal with the sin and the temptations of the world. In his first letter, the Apostle John tells us in 1 John 4 verse 4 that the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. 
And so when we intentionally allow the Holy Spirit to help us, we become better and better at resisting our sinful nature, which allows us to become more and more like Jesus. But how do we do that? I mean, practically, how do we do that? In his book, Metamorphosis, Matt Hatch talks about the change circle, a process that allows us to be intentional about partnering with the Holy Spirit to bring about a transformation in us. And what what I like about it is that it allows us to be specific to ourselves about what needs to happen in us. Because for each one of us, that transformation that needs to take place, the things that we need to stop doing and the things that we need to start doing look different. When we, when we read through that passage or when we read through other passages where Paul lists all these things that we should stop doing, we're not all looking uncomfortably at the same one or two or, or, or three or four or, or, or maybe more. Matt Hatch talks about discipleship moments. Those moments when we recognize that there are things that are happening, things that we are doing that are not right, that we shouldn't be doing them. And the change circle, and I'm going to look at it in a moment, helps us to deal with them in a healthy way. There are five stages that he talks about that will help us to bring about a transformation that brings us closer and closer to being like Jesus. One discipleship moment at a time. And the first stage is to recognize what has just happened. That either something outwardly sinful has happened, we've we've done something dishonest or we've said something hurtful, something outward has happened or, or an inward sin that no one else can see but we can feel it in our heart. We've had an inappropriate thought about someone or we've, we've pridefully judged someone in our hearts. Something that is unseen but something that is unhelpful in our Christian life. And for many, it's easier to pass over this moment with just a quick, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have thought that. Please forgive me, God. And we move on. But a quick, I'm sorry prayer and moving on won't bring the change that needs to happen in us. If we're going to grow deeper, then we need to be intentional about it. We can't minimize our sin. Sorry, God, forgive me. And that moment is left behind us. What we need to do is recognize that what's happened is wrong. And to think about why it happened. Why have I responded in this way? What has made me do that? What has made me say that? What has made me think that? What is lying below the surface that I need to deal with? And then we need to respond. That's the second step. And what he means by this is is that we need to respond emotionally. Our emotions are a big driving force in our behavior. So let's not ignore them. We might have acted the way we did because we felt hurt or we felt angry or, or disappointed. Maybe we were even disappointed with God. And that's why we thought what we did or did what we did or we were jealous, or we were ashamed. By acknowledging our feelings to God helps us to understand how our sin has made us feel and how our feelings have made us sin. Having recognized what has happened, having acknowledged the feelings associated with it, we now need to make a conscious decision that we're not going to do that anymore. And so the third step is to repent. Repent. 
the conscious decision to turn away from, from sin and toward God, to stop doing things my way and rather do things God's way. And part of that repentance might mean that we need to forgive someone for something that they've done to us, for the hurt that they've caused us. And that's not always an easy thing to do, especially if that person has never apologized to us or never repented themselves for what they've done. But forgiveness makes us more like Jesus because he forgave us. And it also makes us more like Jesus because there is a cost that comes with forgiveness. And we bear that cost. When we forgive someone, we no longer expect them to pay for what they've done. We release them from that debt that they, that they owe us. And in doing so, we take that cost upon ourselves. And while there might be an initial cost to forgiving someone, what we will find is that ultimately it leads to a blessing. Because sometimes unforgiveness can fester in us. Sometimes unforgiveness can be a weight that we carry around with us. But forgiveness releases us from that. And so the more we forgive, the more we feel blessed by forgiving. And the more we, for we feel blessed, the more we will want to forgive making us more and more like Jesus, who forgave us all of our sin. And then the fourth thing that Matt Hatch says that we need to do is that we need to renounce. Renounce what? Renounce the lie that sits behind the sinful actions, the lie that says that God's ways are not reliable, that I don't need to do what God says. I can decide for myself what I do. It was the lie that the serpent sold to the woman in the garden, that God doesn't know what's best for you. And in fact, if, if you do what he says, he's holding back the good things. But choose for yourself and you'll find that you know best. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. See the good that God is holding you back from if you obey him. That's the lie. Tim Chester says that behind every sin is a lie about God and the gospel. What we're doing here is that we're recognizing and we're exposing the lie that we're believing that is causing us to sin. You know, the lie like, well, they're only getting what they deserve. It's okay because, you know, there's far worse things happening in the world. Or if nobody finds out, where's the harm in it? No, we renounce the lie. And we choose that we're not going to believe it anymore. It's not going to control my behavior or the decisions that I make. And then finally, we receive. We invite the Holy Spirit to heal us, to fill us, to transform us, to strengthen us, and to give us freedom. We could go through those first four steps over and over and over again, but we will keep returning to that sin. Because without the help of the Holy Spirit, because without the help of the Holy Spirit, all that we're relying on is our sinful nature. And it's not strong enough. In Romans 7, when Paul spoke about that internal battle that, that, that he has, that we all have um, to fight against our sinful nature, he, he comes to this conclusion. He, he, he comes to a question. He says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who will stop me? from going through the cycle over and over and over again. And then he says, thank God. The answer 
is in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is in Jesus. It is through the Holy Spirit that is in us, the Holy Spirit that is partnering with us, the Holy Spirit that, that we, are, we are handing that part of our lives over that helps us to overcome the sinful nature. I thought this process was helpful in theory. As I looked through it, I thought, this is a really helpful process. But it just seemed impractical to me. I mean, who has the time to do this? Who has the time to go through all of this every time we sin? But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought about this whole process, and the more I thought about what its purpose is, and, and, and what our purpose is to become more like Jesus so that people can encounter Jesus when they encounter us, I realized that we should all have the time to do this. We should all have the time to do this. I'm not talking about stopping and doing this every time that we sin, every time we make a mistake, now I need to stop and I need to go through this, these five steps of, of, of every time a discipleship moment arrives. But if we are going to be intentional about the way we live out our faith, then we should intentionally have time in our day where we do spend alone with God, where we do think about the things of God, where we do look at ourselves and wonder, what is God revealing about me that needs to be different? Just the way Jesus did. He spent time with God. He waited for the Father to reveal to him, what is it that I need you to do now? I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. And we shouldn't be too busy to do that. Even if we are busy, it comes back to being intentional about surrendering, about being obedient. We're coming into the season of Lent. It kicks off on Wednesday. Enjoy your pancakes on Tuesday. I have, I have quite a mixed relationship with Lent um, in terms of giving things up. I gave up coffee once once. Don't do it. If that's what you're thinking of doing this Lent, don't. For your own sanity and, and for the people around you that love you. Don't, don't give up coffee. One year I also had this great idea that I was going to give up an hour of my sleep. I was going to wake up an, an hour earlier every morning. We were living in Armagh at the time and I decided I would wake up an hour earlier and I would pray walk through the town. And it went okay for the first week or so, but I really missed my sleep. Um, but here's the mistake I made. I was giving up the wrong thing. There's nothing wrong with waking up an hour earlier and spending time with God or maybe walking through your neighborhood praying. But rest is also important. It's an important discipline in our faith that sometimes we don't take seriously enough. What I should have given up was whatever I was doing an hour before going to bed at night. Watching TV, sitting on my phone, doing something unhelpful. That's what I should have given up. So that I was just going to bed an hour earlier so that I could wake up an hour earlier. Standing here today, I want to challenge you to think about what is it that takes up maybe a half an hour of your time each day that you can give up for Lent and then spend that half hour with God. Perhaps you can spend some of that time thinking about your discipleship moments of that day. What has happened today that was unhelpful in my Christian walk? Why did it happen? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to recognize? What lies is lying below it? And then invite the Holy Spirit to do a transforming work on, in you, a transforming work that you cannot do on your own. 
What needs to change in you so that you can become more like Jesus? We've also produced some, some daily reading cards for you um, to take today. They're, they're on the welcome desk. There's a box on the welcome desk with a whole lot of these cards in. Um, over the last six weeks as we've traveled through the sermon series, we've looked at six different passages. And what we've done is we've, we've listed one passage for each week. Um, for you to think about, to read, and, 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 and to pray about, um, and, and spend a day on the same, each day on the same passage. We're not giving you 40 passages to look through, but one passage. And spend a week thinking about it, praying about it. And, and, and there's three questions that we've given you to think about just to prompt you um, in, in, in allowing God to do a work in you. Three simple questions. What does this passage tell me about God? Because God reveals himself to us through the Bible. So as we read passages, it should tell us more about God. What does this passage tell me about God? What does this passage tell me about myself? And what needs to change in the way I live my life? What needs to change within me so that I can become more and more like Jesus? I encourage you to maybe journal those thoughts. Jot them down. What is it that you're spending a half an hour a day in your life that you could set aside for six weeks and say, I'm going to spend the time with God rather, and I'm going to allow God to talk to me and show me what changes can happen. And who knows, maybe by the end of Lent, you will start to recognize changes that you've made in your life to become more and more like Jesus. We're going to spend just a moment in prayer. No, more than a moment in prayer. But maybe just a bit of space for you to think about what is there going on in your life right now that you need to change? I'm actually going to ask, we, we normally say that the prayer ministry team come up at the end of the service. Um, I'm going to invite them to come up now to be at the front here. And if you want to come up for prayer, maybe while the worship team are leading us in a time of worship or at the end, um, and maybe have somebody pray with you Maybe just something that you need to be released from. Something that you're battling with that is not helpful. It holds you back from being more and more like Jesus. I want to invite you to take that opportunity to do that right now. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we thank you that you love us, that you call us, that you adopt us as your children but you don't leave us left in sin. But rather instead you want to do a work in us to release us from, from the weight and the chains and the binding of sin. But also you want to do a work in us that, that brings us to a place where we are more and more like Jesus. Not for ourselves, but so that others can see who Jesus is. And what he is like when they look at us and encounter us. So that your kingdom can grow. So that the people that you love who are far away from you will draw close to you. And that you choose to do that work through us. It is a privilege. But it is also a responsibility that we have. And we thank you that you don't leave us alone in that responsibility. You have poured out your spirit upon us. To be our partner. God, as we sit here now, as we think about our own lives, perhaps there are things that we recognize now already. That is a sin I'm carrying around with me that 
that I need to be released from. Your partner is here today. The one who wants to give you the strength and the power to overcome that sin is right here with us today. And so as you think about the sin, ask God to forgive you. Repent of it. Make a conscious decision that I don't want to do this anymore. And acknowledge that you can't do it on your own. And so invite the Holy Spirit to partner with you today. Jesus, I cannot, I cannot continue doing this. It hurts me, it hurts others, and it hurts you to see it. Forgive me. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore, but it is hard. It is hard for me not to do this on my own. So we ask the Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. Help me to be more like Jesus. Help me to be the character that Jesus is. Help me to do the work that Jesus does. I cannot do it on my own. So help me. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.